Gumption. Defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. Okay, here we go. We are live again for another episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Woo! I am pumped for this episode. This is going to be a good one. Uh, certainly have had some awesome guests on this show. If you stuck around through the whole thing so far, thank you so much for that. Uh, if this is your first episode, go back, check out some other uh, of the earlier episodes. I'm certain you will uh, enjoy them. We've got a good mix of guests. Uh, today's guest is, is, is pretty legit, but, uh, before we get to that, we got to go through our sponsors. So our first sponsor, you've heard of them before. They're hanging on. They're one of our most loyal, the first one ever for this podcast, Open Gate Farmstead. They're a stone's throw away from the mighty Ossable River. Open Gate Farmstead is a first generation farm specializing in free range poultry, pasture raised pork, and seasonal produce. The farm is run using a simple principle. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. You're going to find their chickens eating bugs on pasture, their pigs enjoying a mud bath, maybe some acorns, and if you're lucky, the geese will be enjoying the pond. To watch and experience the Open Gate Farmstead journey, check them out on their YouTube page, Open Gate Farmstead, or catch them on Facebook or Instagram. Our second sponsor... Interestingly enough, considering our guest today, Kavanaugh Realty. They're a local independent real estate company helping their neighbors sell and buy their homes. You got to check them out on the web or on social media, hashtag local matters. And uh, we'll, get to, uh, we'll get to Kavanaugh Realty, I think, at least once in today's episode. Uh, we also have one more uh, sponsor want to want to give a good shout out to these guys doing great things in our community sparkle clean they provide professional and economic cleaning solutions for, to residential and commercial structures they specialize in window cleaning floor care carpet extraction and auto boat detailing call them for a free estimate today 518-578-2931 or you can check them on facebook instagram at Sparkle Clean, S P A R K I K L E E N. That's Zach and Kate Hoyt. They're great people. Met them through the Adirondack Young Professionals and a few other networking events around town. Uh, they're local. They're great. They're committed, and they are going to be great to do business with. Give them a call five one eight five seven eight two nine three one. Here we are. It's episode. 16. I can't believe it. The Stories of Gumption podcast. Conversations with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and in my opinion, just really, really impressive people. Today we have someone I would say meets all three of those. He is an entrepreneur. He is a creative thinker at times. And I just find him super impressive. Good friend of mine. Other bio here. Let's see. He's a real estate agent. He's a father of two, proud husband, CrossFit trainer. He's a fellow 
podcaster. He's a member of ADKYP. He's a past uh, board of director on the Clinton County Board of Realtors. And he's a fellow golfer. Welcome to the podcast, Galen Trombley. There we go. How you doing, right? <laughs> hey, man. I, uh, I I was just talking to... Uh, so, sorry, I'm going to kind of... We both run a podcast, so I think I kind of... I might over... I'm just going to try to do my thing um, as, as we're talking and not overtake you. No, but dude. It's, it's like a natural no, thing. Right. But before we were talking, um, this is actually my first first podcast that I've been on since starting my show. Um, my second ever guest appearance, because we went on Matt Craig's. Yep. You were first. I think I was second. Yep. Uh, that was back in like November. The one-two punch. That's it. And then uh, we ended up, I started mine. Uh, you've been on mine, which was a, a very fun episode talking music and all that good, good jazz. And then, uh, so yeah, I'm actually... Oddly enough, with all the podcasts that I've done so far, I'm like super excited to do this one because it's diff- <laughs> It's different. Like, and I just feel like I'm on a different end, and I, I, I don't know. It's just I, I'm kind of curious to have you just like lead the conversation, and, and then you know just fill in when I can. For sure, man. Yeah. So I'm, pr- I'm happy to be here. You know, it's interesting. Uh, not to digress too much, but uh, after so I went on Matt's, Matt Craig's Craig Cast. Proud uh, co-owner of Open Gate Farmstead as well. Uh, then I went on yours, and a little gem in there. Early on, you and I talked. I think you were the one of the last people I talked to. Uh, of course, my wife throughout the whole process, but one of the last people I talked to about my interest in starting a podcast on that episode. Yes, and and, and we talked about that. We brainstormed. It never was stories of gumption at the time, but it was something. It was interesting. So, yeah. Anyhow, I I can uh, I can relate. Uh, I have gone on Why Wait Innovate recently. Uh, it's it's different after you're hosting to then sit back and be asked all the questions. I uh, I I enjoyed it. And and shout out to Matt Wait. But uh, I I don't know. I I think I like hosting. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, it's different. I I think like the ho- the hosting part. I feel I'm more comfortable. Because like it, you know, you're kind of like running the show, and you know how it is. You're on your mic or in your studio or whatever, and and you have like a little bit of a comfort level. Then you come here, which is it's the same thing. We're talking behind mics, you got headphones on. I mean, yep. um, yep. you know, yep. just kind of hanging out, two two buddies talking. But it still feels a little different to me because I'm like out of my element. It's like I'm playing an away game right now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I got my dark jersey on, and you know, you're the home team. But it's all the fans are rooting for me. Yeah, I think. yeah. I mean, I'm rooting for you too. I mean, this. Is, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this is. I'm ex- like I said, excited, and um, I think podcasting. I, I've talked about this on mine, and and I'm sure you've I've, well, actually I've heard you talk about this on yours. Um, just the podcast medium is very cool, and I think that there's more popping up, especially locally um, in our area, which I think is phenomenal. And I think people are just doing some good stuff, and I think it's a good way to. I'm big on like cross promoting, like I like you know with different businesses and and other professionals and other people doing cool yep. stuff. Yep, is you know allowing your audience to know about me, allowing my audience to know about you, allowing Matt Craig, you know Matt. I mean all these guys that have or Matt Matt Craig and Matt Wait and all these guys that have their audience and niche, but they're still you know cross promoting each yep. other in yep. a very cool fashion, and I think it's it's fun. I think anybody that's ever been on. I don't think I've ever had anybody on my podcast say like "get done." We take off. We we hit the uh, the uh, stop button, and they say that that sucked. Everybody's yeah. like, "That was really fun," and um, 
I think there's just something to say about a long form conversation, no distractions, back to just raw, raw communication, like in it to the truest form that you can have. And it's been eye opening because I've had people come on. I've had you come on and I learned something about you every you know? time, yeah. every time. And I've known you now for probably five years, four or five years. Like, oh, actually, like really knowing you for about five years. I, I think we, we've gone before into that background a little bit. But, um, you know, you still learn stuff about everybody that you talk to. And I think, you know, Matt Craig says it's best. Um, you learn something from everybody. You just have to listen or something. Yep. And, yep. It, and it's so it's great, true. Great slogan. Yeah. And, and we, I mean, we, we see each other almost weekly I would say or every at least once every couple weeks just in and around and so we see each other we have conversations all the time but then when you sit down and just have a like a a long form no distractions sitting in a room chit-chatting a lot of cool stuff just kind of like pops its head out and you're like wait you did that or you know that or this happened or you went there like I didn't know you went to Australia I don't know if you ever you probably have told me about it but I knew you were talking to Craig about that and I was like did he tell me he went to Australia? He might have, but I'm like, wait, if he didn't, why didn't he tell me he went yeah, to Australia? That's I, I, kind of I told, a cool thing. I told, I, we talked to Craig about, about Australia. You and I talked about music a lot. And then with uh, Matt Craig uh, on Craigcast, I uh, dropped a, a Easter egg about doing a Redman group, which he absolutely loved. You did, yes. So <laughs> you, you you share a little little unique thing. There's, I guess, in the spirit of cross-pollination, there's some cross-pollination uh, listeners if you're interested in learning about those stories. But this is the Stories of Gumption podcast. So in true Stories of Gumption fashion, I'm going to ask you the first question. What is your definition, Galen Trombley, of gumption? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this a little bit. And when you came up with stories of gumption, yeah, um, my first thought was Forrest Gump, which I, I'm sure you've heard that before. <laughs> and then I then I thought I don't even know what gumption means, and I looked it up. And this was back when the podcast first came out because I'm like I I've heard it, like I've heard the term gumption. And even before the podcast this started, I, or tonight before this podcast started, yeah. I was saying, like, if you were to tell me gumption in a sentence, I would, I would understand what you meant. But then, if you told me to put in a sentence or just told me to define it, I would be like, "What?" And of course, here we are. Yeah, you're telling me to define it. Yeah, but I had no clue. So, I've looked up gumption now multiple times in the dictionary. I said, "Well, online dictionary." Probably the last three or four things I've looked up have all been gumption because. You asked me to be on this, so I looked up gumption today. Fantastic. And, and so I'm not going to use the that term. Um, and I and I actually wrote down on this has nothing to do with Forrest Gump, even though it's a phenomenal movie. Um, even though I was wondering, does gumption kind of by the definition kind of tie into Forrest Gump because the story was like overcoming a lot of things. So I don't know if there's a little tie in with Gump being the last name. I actually, I actually do know that. Uh, I read Forrest Gump. There's a couple books there, mm-hmm. uh, and. There are, it, although the author doesn't publicly say this in the book, there are articles where uh, he has said that is why he chose the last name Gump. Okay. So, so gumption, obviously, English word came first, but yes, you are onto something there. Variation. So, so then I ended up kind of reading it, and I, th- I thought this was coming later on in the podcast, so, but that's all right. So, um, Ryan told me I can swear on this, but I basically summed it up as someone who could say fuck it and do what needs to be done. 
And the reason I say that is, and want me just jump into the next part about the gumption? Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, explain. So, yeah, explain okay. so th- your whole thought. So I, the reason the, the reason I say that, in probably like a crude way of saying it, but if anybody that personally knows me, I, I swear like a sailor, so that shouldn't be anything that is a shock to you. But um, my whole idea, and when I was looking at gumption, and I was looking at the definition, and I was thinking about it, and how does it relate to my life? I'm very big on. Um, you know, and I've heard, I think in other people have talked about it, like when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, like you just kind of, you know, you, you want to find challenges. You want to, you know, if you're up against a barrier or a big wall, like a wall, you want to crash through it. You don't want to take the easy road or go around it. You want to just run head first and basically tackle a big challenge. Um, so again, that's kind of my attitude on a lot of things. When things get going, like in my business, you know, a deal falls apart, a client gets, upset at me or, uh, you know, I, I kind of tied this in a little bit to, you know, even family life, not, not necessarily like, you know, st- but like stresses of family life, like maybe financial stresses or maybe health stresses or things like that. Or, yeah. Yeah. or even just like, you know, going through some like stressful times, like w- with me and my wife. Um, and then I also related it to like a fitness thing of like, man, I'm tired, but I still have more reps or, or sets or whatever to do. My whole idea is just, okay, it's tough. Exactly. There's a little bit of a challenge ahead of you. So let's not basically pussy out. Let's go on full bore and, and take and basically do the work that needs to be done in order to accomplish your goal. So one of my things I kind of pride my work on and what I've been able to do over the last, you know, almost 10 years of being in the professional space is I like challenge. I like I like always improving myself. One of my biggest I have this written down on my desk, but one of my biggest fears are like whys or things of like what motivates me is um, the fear of not reaching my potential. Mm. And I I don't know, and I think part of it is, and maybe I'm just like, I almost think, and I know it's crazy because I'm very big on thinking like life is long, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint type idea, but from a big picture perspective, I'm very, very, very much a marathon runner, meaning like I know I'm working towards some big, cool, great things in the future. My day today is like a chicken with his head cut off. I'm running around <laughs> all day. I'm doing my thing. I, I, I found, I heard an analogy one time and I love it. I'm like a duck. If you look at a duck if on I, top I, I of the wish water, the listeners could see you like, so I got my out. hand out. I got, I got, got the, his, he's got his hand out. He's making a duck and he's making well, the water. Well, this, yeah. So I got the horizon of the water right the here. Horizon of the water. I'm seeing it. Yep. So, so imagine, imagine <laughs> looking at a duck and you're standing on land Imagine you're at CVPH right now looking in the pond and you see a duck going across the pond. The duck looks like he's just floating and he's just kind of on like one of those. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going. You know, what, like this. one of those yeah. beach uh, like floaty <laughs> things and he's just sitting there and he's just catching some rays. Well, let's go below the surface. That duck's feet are like they're Whipping they're, fast. they're going fast. They're moving. So I, I, I like that analogy, meaning I, I, I think people might look at me and think he's calm, cool, collected on the surface, which. I am. I'm, I'm an overall pretty calm, level-headed guy, but on the inside, my brain, my actions, my mind, my mouth, whatever is going, you know, hyperspeed. So I find that my short-term day-to-day is like jacked up to a level 100, but the rest of my like long-term perspective is like toned down to like the bare minimum. Meaning, I day-to-day I, are the feet of the ducks, correct? And 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 your long-term focus is calm, cool, and collected. That's it, steady. So, 
Yeah. So my my thing, I guess, with like gumption and kind of just the idea that when things are tough, um, I just really like to improve. Like I said, when I or what I said before about not reaching my full potential, I just I always look at it as I just don't want to get complacent. I don't want to be not say average, but I don't want to just like settle. I don't want to be. I don't want Galen Trombley of May 2019 to be the same Galen Trombley of May 2024. Mm. Like it, it's to me, because the way I look at it too, and I know it kind of sounds crazy, but like there's a lot. And I, again, another quote that I heard, um, this had to do with a guy in the Navy SEAL. Again, not, not nothing I've ever done, but yeah. what, what was told to him was lesser men have done this. Meaning, and the guy, when he heard that, he was just like, what the hell? Like, yeah. why can't I do it if people not as, you know, whatever, not yeah. not as, I want, I want to say good, but not, not as much potential as me have been able to accomplish this. And I'm basically backing down because it's a challenge. And I kind of look at that as, there's some people in this world that have done phenomenal stuff that were ordinary people. They were just willing to focus their effort at a certain um, milestone or goal and able to accomplish it by just doing consistent basic things day by day. Take Jeff Bezos. Have you ever seen yep. the photo of the, oh, the yeah. Amazon? He's the got like classic, a spray painted thing the classic, in his yeah, Facebook. Jeff, where it's all over social media. Jeff and, Bezos yeah. Jeff Bezos office back in that photo looks like Ryan's office right now. I mean, to be like, it's very just bare <laughs> yeah. bones, like the yep. minimal stuff you need. Yep. Now he's worth a hundred. Well, I mean, he, he, he's worth over a hundred billion dollars. Like right. Jeff Bezos of 1995 is different than Jeff Bezos of 2019 mm-hmm. and Jeff Bezos of 2040 is going to be much different. And I don't know if he's extraordinary. I mean, maybe I've never met the guy, but he's obviously like, I'm not saying like either of us are going to be the Jeff Bezos, but I'm saying in general, like people have accomplished some crazy things because they're able to work at it and they're able to put time in and grind and make it happen. And I don't want to be one of those people where I go down 20 years down the road and be like, man, I'm still kind of doing the same thing I've been doing for 20 years. And I really, I don't know where life will take, take me or what I'll be able to accomplish, but I want to be able to say kind of like when my days come, basically when I'm, I'm hit my end of the end of the end of the ride that I can look back and say like, I kind of fought to the end kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Meaning I, I was able to constantly get better, improve, become a better person. Every day I was like sharpening the ax, meaning I was just always improving. I never settled. I never got complacent. I never degressed. I always was moving forward. I was always trudging forward. And that could be a minuscule day-by-day trudge, but kind of like the, uh, the again, the, the idea of um, a slow climb to a distant horizon. Like, yep. Mount Everest yep. looks really high when you're standing underneath the base of Mount Everest. Back up, you know, miles and miles away, you can cover Mount Everest with your thumb. So the idea is you can climb Mount Everest, but why don't we just climb at a 1% gradient instead of climbing all the way up this big mountain? Right. And I think that's what I look at it in what I do from a business perspective, a family perspective, everything is that I'm I'm climbing to a huge mountain in the distant horizon. I can cover it right now with my thumb. But I know the surest way that I'm going to get there is I'm going to take one step forward. And it's kind of like everything I do, I, that's – and I, I guess from a gumption perspective is when I'm challenged with an obstacle, I, I welcome the obstacle, meaning I want to I want to be able to tackle that giant. You know what I mean? I want mm-hmm. to be the, the David that takes down the Goliath because I have was able to put the effort in. I wasn't 
I didn't get, I, I wasn't scared away or I wasn't, you know what? I was, I was too afraid to step out of my comfort zone or, or, you know, uh, again, pe- people grow at the, was the level of their comfort zone or just out of their comfort zone where it's like the, the edge of like uncertainty and the edge of fear. Like that's where you grow as a person in anything you do. And once you accomplish it, all of a sudden that's not scary anymore. You're like, oh, well, I did it once. So I'm going to do the next thing that's a little more scary. And the next thing you know, you're 10, 15, 30, whatever levels past where you were scared to go the first time. So I guess that's a really long roundabout answer, but I think it's me or gumption, I think is just tackling challenges head on and basically say, fuck it. It needs to be done. How am I going to do it? And let's do that. I like that answer. Okay. It's uh, it's straightforward, but it also, I feel like that answer is the perfect answer for you with my understanding of how you go about every day. Uh, you know, I, it's kind of interesting because I know that like, you've been slowly building your business since you started. But I feel as a friend, knowing you for, what were we saying, five, six years, five, six, I don't know what it's been. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious about when that clicked. Because I'm, I, I, and maybe it was day one, maybe you've always had that perspective. But um, for me, watching you as a friend and a, and a fellow uh, young professional aspiring to kind of do the same thing with my own business. Uh, it seems like the last few years have been a more impressive Galen Trombley, like exponentially more than like when I first met you, but maybe that's cause I didn't know you as well, but like, it seems like the last few years I've seen more examples of gumption than maybe before. Uh, is, is, am I getting somewhere with this? Like, did yeah, you, I mean, where did it click? Did you have a moment or? Well, I, th- I think I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. I, I was one of those guys growing up and I'm going to take sports just because it's kind of a thing that I grew up playing. Like I wasn't the best athlete on any of my teams. I just found a way pretty much through understanding the, like say the game of soccer or basketball or baseball. I understood it very well from a mental standpoint, meaning um, I, I really studied all the games. I watched a lot. I watched, again, watched professionals or people that were good at it. I worked my tail off at practice. Um, you know, I knew practicing and, and doing reps and stuff was going to make me better. I put that time into it and it got me to positions where I was playing on the field or on the court or, or, or doing fairly well. I mean, we had a very successful soccer team. Um, I was not the best person on the soccer team by any means. I played with some phenomenal players. I was good enough to make the starting lineup. I was good enough to have very good memories on those teams because I was able to work my tail off to get on it. But I know I wasn't most gifted. I wasn't the most naturally athletic. I mean, if anybody's seen me, I'm five foot seven on a good day. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. the most athletic dude. Um, same thing when I played golf, like I did a lot of practice on golf I'm, and I don't hit the ball that far, but I had a good short game. I, I knew my yardages. I could hit the ball straight or, or I mean, when I was really playing, I could work it a little bit. I mean, yeah. th- those, we kind of joke th- those days are over with now, but, um, so it started back then of just having the work ethic of overcoming that stuff. And then as I got into the business field, did it, or the business realm. So when I was, oh God, I was 20 turning 21 when I got my real estate license, I was in college. Um, and to put it in perspective, I, I did my real estate license in 
a semester. Um, I was taking like eight, I think 18 or 21 credits, and I was um, assistant coaching a varsity sports team oh, all wow. in the fall. Yeah, that's and a lot. I would wake up at 6 a.m. I would work out. I would get up. I would go do my whole thing at school. I would do my homework. I would take the course between classes. I would go to practice or if we're at a home game or away game, I wasn't getting home till nine, 10 o'clock at night, rinse, repeat for an entire semester. Um, and, and even in school, like getting homework done, like get, getting, you know, I, I, I made good use of my time and, and I was always, you know, really trying to just tackle problems, tackle challenges, tackle workload head on, knowing that I had to get it done. I was just, you know, I always had a good work ethic growing up. I think, you know, where'd you learn that though? Like what, where maybe, would you, if you can you put your finger on where it came from? I, I don't know. I think maybe just growing up it could be chores, could be, um, you know, my 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 parents were, uh, you know, very structured in the sense that, you know, and I think in a in a good way structured, meaning you know they didn't just let us do whatever. They were very involved parents in our lives. Not 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 helicopter parents by any means, but they were they were there for us. They were you know we had to do our chores, but they you know. We help them out with stuff. You know, if we had to go do something with my grandparents or help, you know, I remember putting like helping uh, put a roof on for my grandfather. I, I mean, I was I was carrying shingles. I wasn't doing sure. the I wasn't sure. the head head guy running the show, but <laughs> but we were like always just tasks, you know, like yeah. getting getting camp ready, getting stuff ready. So I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with that. I think a lot of it just had to do naturally of just you know not wanting to be a slug, kind of just be a lazy person. Like I figured, like well, I might as well get the work done. I want to get good grades or I want to make the sports team or I want to win the game or whatever the case may be. And then I got into real estate and part of the reason for doing that was just, I, I, I worked at a job where I served ice cream. Um, I didn't like the, the fact that I could sit, I could be there for eight hours and do about two hours worth of work because a lot of time was dead time. You're just waiting for people and I'm sitting there. It's beautiful out. My friends are out doing stuff. I'm sitting there in an ice cream. Granted, it was not a, like it was a pretty cushy job, but at the end of the day, it was like, Man, can't I like why can't I just come in at like, you know, one o'clock, work till three, do all my work I need to do, and just cut out of here and go hang out with my friends and do the same amount of work? And so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do real estate. My dad was in it. I could see that, and I knew I would get out of it what I put into it. And it's a pure commission job, which is scary for a lot of people. Yep. I've had some financial stresses. I've never been to the point. I mean, I've been to some points where I've like I've gotten a little nervous here and there, but you know, again, that's probably some gumption too, overcoming that obstacle. But was I, when you say over the last couple of years, yeah, I did hit a switch. Um, I think part of me hitting that switch was, um, being on my own, um, you know, having expenses rack up a little bit more. I mean, I, when I first started, I had zero expenses living at home. If I sold a couple mm. homes, whatever. I mean, it was almost yeah. all coming in positive and I had zero going out in an expense column. Um, now I have a wife, um, and you know, when I got my first kid, I, she's got gumption. Yeah. Gee, she's, she's a tough cookie. Yeah. Um, shout when, out to Gina. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, but when, when, uh, of course, when you get married, then now you're, you are responsible for another person. Like that person is in your life and they are, yep. you know, like you and Lauren do a fantastic job of that, that, you know, you are, she's dependent on you. You're dependent on her. And then when my son was born, I hit like another switch because now I literally have, I have another human being that has, cannot do, I mean, he's so dependent on Gina and I that 
you know, if Gina's home with the kids, I have to go out and I have to provide for the family, you know, and from just a pure like provider, you know, standpoint, that's what I have to do. Now, I just, my daughter was born nine days ago. Yeah. She's I was teeny say, tiny. It's not even two weeks yet. No. <laughs> and, uh, and it's the same thing. So now you have this other little human that you're, you're now responsible for and, you know, they're relying on mom and dad and what, and I've gotten a new perspective of my parents because, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't, you know, your mom and dad, they know everything, everything's gonna be okay. You're just living life and you have no worries as a child. And that's how it should be. But then you realize like, what were my parents doing or sacrificing or thinking or not getting sleep or, or stressing about this or making sure we were taken care of first before they were. And that's what I really like. That's what I'm really focused on all the time too, is how do I provide for, my two kids that, you know, just think that mom and dad have everything figured out. We're, we're young. You know, we don't. Yeah. We're, we're learning yeah. as we go. Um, so I, I did hit a switch when I became a father. Um, but I think part of it, too, and, and what was really weird was I'm very – when I talk about, like, driven from a perspective of – I have a lot of – you've been in my office. I have numbers on my, my board. I chart – my production, I chart my sales, I chart all that stuff up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're a whiteboard guy. I'm very big. A lot, of, a <laughs> lot of whiteboards. A lot of yeah. It keeps my brain a little more free. Um, but when I put the numbers up there, and I think it's weird because I'm in a commission based job. If you, if anybody ever looks at the board, there's nothing up there with salary. I really like. I'm, I'm one. I'm not motivated by money. I mean, I need money to survive and provide for my family. But at the end of the day, the numbers on the board are the number of families that I can help, meaning clients. Like how many people can I help? And I'm always trying to improve on the year before. And I've always done that. And I think part of the reason is, is I'm just giving myself a goal to hit and I work to hit it. And usually my goal is not like to do outdo last year by one deal. I, I have a bigger, like I, I want to grow more than one deal mm-hmm. a year. Um, and I've actually been able to you know, over the last few years really kind of make some big headway on stuff. And I think a lot of that comes down to, again, I'm just, I'm always trying to outdo myself. And I know I've talked about it before. Like I can see, you know, we can see other agents productions. Like I can see every agent in the area, what they're, what they're doing. I know what they're doing. Um, I know how much they're selling. I know, I mean, it's all like say public knowledge, but it's knowledge to the real estate base because we can see all the same stats but I really don't care where that stacks up. I'm always looking at myself. And I got, we talk about, I mean, you know, I do CrossFit and we're very much CrossFit's kind of the same yep, thing. Like very similar. I really don't care what the guy next to me is doing. I'm it's all always about looking at yourself. That's exactly. also why I love the game of golf. A hundred percent. I think I was drawn to the game of golf for that same reason. I could care less. I mean, I, I trust me, I would want you to break par, but I could care less if you broke par or shot 90. Because at the end of the day, I got to focus on my own game, and I'm not trying to beat you. I'm trying to beat my score. Maybe my best, my best score. I spent years trying to beat my best score. Every time I teed up the golf ball, I wanted to beat my all-time best score. Um, but it was always trying to beat me, and I think that's kind of rubbed off as a kid, like trying to get faster, mm. trying to be a better shooter, trying to better defender, whatever the case may be. And now I'm, I've switched that over to I want to be a better business professional. And I think a lot of it had. And, so you're, you're right when you say a couple years ago, because it was a couple years ago where I think I hit a, I don't think I hit a switch in a mental thinking. I think what people are starting to see now is the results of years of nothing. Meaning we've talked about this before. I mean, this is my ninth year of real estate. 
very few people knew who I was nine years ago, uh, eight, seven, six, five years ago. And the thing was, I was slowly building up um, to the level that I'm at now. Um, and I think I've hit a level of business now that is, um, you know, right up there with, you know, the best in our area by far, you know, and I think, but that's happened through, you know, many hours, many phone calls, oh, many yeah. texts, many, you know, business, uh, networking events, many appointments, miles and miles and hours and hours of driving of late nights, doing email of editing video of coming up with content of posting like people I don't think see like I, I try to make like my social media for my business as true as I can make it meaning I'm showing you nasty homes I'm showing because we're not all showing the fancy homes that we're in I'm yeah. going in a whole house full of mold I'm I'm selling a $50,000 home and I'm selling a $400,000 home I'm selling like you know and but I I give that perspective but I think people would be bored if they saw my day to day. Like I'm, I'm still like, but like my day to day three to four years ago was boring. I'm sitting in an office making phone calls and talking to people. And guess what? I, I was at a girl yesterday who's new, um, a new, or just got into real estate, and she's with me, kind of shadowing me and watching what I do. And I'm like, it was funny. I was going down through my notes. I'm like, actually, I started talking to these people in 2014. I'm still talking to them. Like, but people would have given up on those clients or don't. But like, I, everything is just the slow consistent, small, small, small baby steps that I'm taking every single day. And I think people are now starting to recognize or, or know my name or see my face or, or realize what I'm doing real estate wise. And, and because everything that I've worked towards, I call it the snowball effect, meaning yep. I started rolling a snowflake and now it's turning into a good yep. like, base of a, of a snowman type yep. thing. And people are seeing now the bigger snowball where before I was doing the same stuff. Just again, it was a smaller scale, but it takes time to build and get your name out there and, and get people to trust in you or want to use you to help them. It, uh, it takes gumption, I think, to recognize the discomfort in the behavior that any sales related job requires, like general prospecting, general building client base, and not. If you're doing it right, most of the time, you are not getting immediate return on your investment. It takes time and relationship building. And there's two, th two things I'll say. I, uh, I've been in sales for a while, different kinds of sales, right? I started with the Boy Scouts and I was very much fundraising sales, membership sales, nonprofit, like uh, it was a very different kind of sales, but it started building that foundation for me. And, I, and I, that's where I started realizing, hey, I, I kind of like this. And then, of course, uh, the listeners have heard this before. I went to uh, ETS, a recruiting company, for a little over a year. But now I'm in insurance, and I actually, uh, I, I'm about a year and a half in, a little less than that. Uh, I still feel like I'm brand new. But to your point, um, I, had, I had a client, a prospect, last year when I started, uh, that I really wanted. I really, really wanted it. And I'd put in the work and I felt like I earned it and I didn't get the opportunity, right? And at that moment, I had a choice. I had the choice to say, crap, like I'm, I'm screwed and I didn't get this big opportunity that I really thought I was going to get and I wanted it. I go pout and sit in a corner and, and or I turn it around into a continued opportunity for the future and focus on 
more opportunities that are still building the snowball, as you say, right? Well, this year, literally like a week ago, that prospect just became a client. And that, I don't know how many months that is, but that's, it was well over a year of, of building a relationship, showing the value, showing that I didn't need immediate feedback and, and just doing the job. Right. And I feel like, although yours is on a much larger scale over much longer period of time, that's how it works, man. That's how, that's how it grows. And, um, you gotta, you gotta be willing to accept long-term success that's larger than uh, immediate satisfaction. And the other thing I'll say real quick is actually episode two of this podcast, an even better story of this, was Steve Frederick at Clinton Community College. So people that haven't heard that episode or, or learned about this, but he's a fundraiser for Clinton Community College. And he got the opportunity to meet with a donor who had been giving $500, I think it was $500, every year since the 1980s and he's like whoa this guy loves us what we need to talk to this guy so he brings him in and the guy's name is george moore who's no he had passed away a few years ago but he's meeting with this guy george moore and uh um he asks him you know what his deal is the guy goes boys i'll give you i'll give you a thousand dollars go away gift right he just wanted you just wanted to give him a gift and, and go away so Steve would leave him alone. Steve said, no, I don't want your money. They continue to have conversations over five years. You can go and get in, in the details of the story in episode two if you'd like, but because it gets real good. But ultimately, Steve secured by pushing it off and caring more about the relationship instead of saying yes at the $1,000 offer. Uh, he secured a $2 million unrestricted gift for the college. And so if you go and visit Clinton Community College campus, there is a building that says the George Moore building. Yeah, so that is a story that speaks to exactly what you're doing, my friend. The long-term play, recognizing that short-term satisfaction is not always the right choice. I love that. That's great. I, I didn't hear that episode, but that, that I'll, I'll probably go listen to it now because I want to hear that. Steve's I, a phenomenal dude, and I, yeah, and I, don't I know love Steve, Steve but listen to it. Steve Frederick, man, he, uh, he's, got, he's got an interesting story to tell, but I digress. So you're building this snowball, my friend. You are, you are doing good things. I want to take some time here to get some industry knowledge and expertise from you because I feel like... I mean, full transparency to the listeners, you are my real estate agent, right? Like you helped I, Lauren and I get into this beautiful get home. into this home that we're sitting in right now. Into I mean, the studio. And I feel like I have to say that just for full transparency. But and I, I think forever grateful for that because that was a very unique story where, you know, you put in some extra effort for us uh, in late night. But um <laughs> While you were on vacation, I think, but uh, got an offer before the other offer came in, and I don't want to take too much of a digression, but like you remember that night? I I, I actually, yes. No, no, give, give me your your take, and I'll add a little bit at the end. Yeah, sure. So I I just remember uh, Lauren and I going, holy shit! I think we're gonna get a house. I think we're gonna make an offer on a house. How do you do that? 
I don't know. I don't know how to do that either. I th- I want that house though. I think. And they're like, yeah, first time home buyer. What do we do? Called up Galen because we knew Galen showed us our house. He's a good friend. He's good. He knows what he's doing. You were down in Florida on vacation. I'm pretty sure. And at the time, didn't have the technology to quickly uh, do e signatures and all that. So you were basically going through with us. Okay, this is what we need to do for your offer. Okay, this is what we want to do. You sent us back our thing. We filled it out. We didn't fill it out right. You 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 wrote on it. You wrote notes on the side. You scanned it. You sent it back to us. It's like nine o'clock at night. You we we fill it out with the correct part. We send it back. We scanned it back. And then you made some more comments. You're like, eh, I don't know if that's right either. And then we fix it. Long story short, I just remember this long drawn out like scan print scan write scan print send back you're on vacation it's like 11 30 at night and then we start you were just like let's skype and <laughs> we put in an offer that night or i don't remember how that worked but the next day or within like i swear within at least 32 36 hours somebody else made a offer that would have beat us i think but we had the first offer in and i don't know this actually raises a very interesting discussion too about the industry that maybe you can answer. But if we had an offer first and it wasn't the better offer, how the hell did we secure our house? So anyhow, so, I just threw a ton at you. But. Yeah, no, so that, so, okay, so. Hit me. Yes. So so the story uh, Ryan said was pretty good. That's about, you were pretty spot on on that whole thing. What was funny about that was. Now, I didn't think you would remember it, but you hit it right off in the start, is that we were scanning and, and going back and forth. Nowadays, we have this beautiful e-signatures thing that I can, I would have, we would have had that done in a, a tenth of the time. Um, and I, I kind of laugh it. because we ended up getting that technology like uh, two months maybe after. And I and I actually thought of your deal when that first came through and I'm like, God, that would have been really nice to have at that time. But <laughs> Yeah, what are you so, going to do? Whatever. And, uh, Makes for a good story. Yeah, so I... I Again, you guys have been in here what three years now? Twenty sixteen, yeah. yeah. We uh, yeah. actually, it was the first week. I don't remember the exact. It was like June sixth, and That's here we are right. sitting at at the turn of of May to June in yeah in twenty nineteen. So it's yeah, it's going to be three years exactly. So I think what happened at the time was there. So there's always there's always an advantage to being the first offer in real estate. Um, there's a lot of reasons. And, um, I think from, for your perspective in that deal, what was happening and I, I, again, I'm kind of the, the details might be a little vague, but I'm kind of getting the general concept, right. Um, that the, you guys are making a pretty good offer. Um, I knew there was potential for another offer. Um, and that's part of the reason why I, I did it the time we, we did and got it in that night knowing that they would have had it in the inbox or her inbox or the agent at the time's inbox. Um, Timestamped. Timestamped, first thing in the morning. like, and, and the other thing about it too was I knew, I think I knew that the other showing wasn't until later that evening and they were doing a second showing, which typically means that someone's got interest. And I think talking to right. the agent at the right. time, she had told us that there, there was a very, very, very solid chance this person was making an offer. The problem is now if there was two offers... There's you run the the real risk of not getting it because you're bidding you're bidding at that point, and most likely you're paying more than you otherwise would probably get if you weren't up against somebody. 
So I remember getting in the offer early, and I think what had happened was, again, the number, the exact numbers kind of, you know, escaped me three years later, but by being the first offer in, and, and I believe you guys did a pretty solid offer, that the seller, and I'm always a big advocate of this, like a bird in the hands better than two in the bush, they had an acceptable offer sitting on, like sitting in their hands. Do we roll the dice, maybe get a second offer, maybe it's not as good, you know, what maybe you guys don't want to go up and, and are they delaying it? And I think what we, by being quick and having it in there first and, and having everything together and having, you know, all our bank stuff together and having everything, a full package, everything was there, nothing was missing. We, we basically crossed every T and dotted every I that everything was there and the offer was accepted and we were basically able to avoid a multiple offer situation. That person, um, after the fact, they knew it was upset they didn't get their offer in, yep. but but yep. your offer was accepted, and here we are sitting in your house. So, um, now I, if, guess, I yeah. guess what you said before, if if your offer came in and a second offer came in, that scenario, yeah, 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 what would happen is because you were the first offer, you made an offer with going up against nobody, you can make whatever offer you want. A good agent, what they're going to say is, second offer comes in, they tell the second offer we already have an offer. So you have to make your best and final offer, meaning you get one shot, give us your best offer. We're going to go back to the first people. And once we get the second offer and say, we have a second offer, they've given us their best and final. You now have an opportunity to change it if you'd like, or you can certainly stay the same, or do you want to change it to your best and final? And that gives you an opportunity to also put your best foot forward. And at that point, the seller picks, looks at both of them and says, I want this one. And they go with that offer. And that's, you know, a bidding war. Now, so I've seen it be as many as, oh God, I think I've seen five or six offers on one house before when you're up against five or six people. Wow. Does happen yeah. all the time, but the market we're in right now, it's not uncommon to have two or three offers on a house. Um, yeah. And you got to, and the good thing is I've, you know, kind of through your experience and past experiences, I'm, I'm very confident and comfortable in those situations now, but it's, uh, yeah, they're stressful for everybody involved. Um, and, but yeah, you would have gotten the opportunity to to make another offer, but I guarantee you it would have been higher price than what you guys bought the house for. And there was also a coin flip that you could have easily not have been in this house. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. About that. So like you mentioned the market we're in. Tell me about the market we're in. It's here it is, uh, spring 2019. And, and I know that um, you do a lot of this content on your social media page, but you know, give me the elevator pitch of the market right now and, and how it ebbs and flows. Yeah. So, um, real estate is much, is very much like the stock market. And the thing with real estate, it's, it's totally dependent on supply and demand. Um, it's a very basic ec economic model, um, in the, in the truest, uh, truest sense in that right now we're in a seller's market. And what a seller's market means is that the inventory of homes for sale. So the amount of sellers that have their home listed is lower than the amount of buyers that are looking for homes. So when we talk about equilibrium would mean equal, obviously, buyers mm -hmm. and sellers, just enough homes for just as many buyers that are looking. The problem is when right now when we have less homes that are out there, we have less of an inventory, and we have many buyers looking for homes, what happens with, you know, if you have only 10 homes but you have 30 buyers or 40 buyers, people are going to pay a premium for the home. Mm -hmm. causes the prices to go up. And it's a strict supply and demand model. And I told somebody, actually, actually it was this morning. I said, imagine if in our area right now we had 10,000 houses, but we only had 
100 people that were looking for homes. Those homes would go for pennies on the dollar because, okay, I'll you're going to sell for what? I'm just going to go to this guy and buy that house. Yep. But guess what's happening now? We have, say we have 50 listings out there, but we have you know, 200 people looking for homes. There's going to be a, a very big premium on those homes exactly. because people are now going to pay more than they were willing to pay before when there was more homes on the market. Now, the good thing about that is it does increase the um, the home prices, uh, which is great for sellers. And buyers, right? the only negative right now for buyers, in my belief, is that it's a stressful time to find a home because there's not a lot of homes available and you have to act fast and you're, you're um, it, it's just, it, it's an uncertain time until you know you have the home. But I really think right now, and I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, huge um, advocate of Plattsburgh and the Plattsburgh area. And I think that our area is in the very early stages or, very, you know, not even scratching the surface of what we're going to be in, I think, 5, 10, 20 years. So I think anybody buying a home right now, um, I think, is going to be extremely happy they did yep. buy a home in this time period. Even though the prices right now from a year ago are up 10%. And when I say 10%, that's... That's the median home price. It's not average. I mean, that's like you take away the huge outliers of the seven hundred thousand dollar home and the seven thousand dollar, you know, whatever or teardown. Yeah. What? So, yeah, and you're so you're taking all that out. the The median sale price has gone up ten. The average sale price was up a little bit over that, and that's one year. That's not over a decade. That's over one year, and I don't. I think we're still in a very low price range market when we look at this from a when we're going to look back at this historically um mm. 2007 2008 if anybody's watched the you know, the big short the movie with you know brad pitt steve carell that that whole yep. thing with um the economic downturn in the housing bubble what happened there was lending practices weren't good there wasn't as strict of regulations as they should have been people bought homes they couldn't afford and what happened was, as the economy kind of slipped, people couldn't pay their mortgage. All these homes went into foreclosure. And we had, when this is when I got in the business, I got in at the very start of uh, January 2011, was my first month. We were basically at the very bottom of the market. Um, that was the true essence of a buyer's market back then. I mean, I used to work with buyers. You would see a house, you'd go to six other homes, and next month you're like, eh, I'm going to go back and recheck on those homes. You know, Maybe I want them now, or you had time to think about it. And You never did multiple offers because there wasn't enough people that would want a home. And you would see price reduction after price reduction after price reduction because there wasn't people that – there was too many homes for sale and not enough people that would actually look – like you, you had a harder time finding people that actually wanted to buy a home back then. Mm. Now – and everybody and their mother wants to buy a home. We're looking for people like who's looking to sell their home because we have people that need to buy a home. And what's happened over – and it's kind of cool because I, when I came in as a buyer's market, I've seen almost, again, nine years. So it's almost been a full decade. The full circle. Full circle. And they we say we, it rotates on about a decade swing yeah, and, roughly. And, yeah, right? and we had – I mean, granted, this is probably part, part of the reason that the whole housing was a problem back in like 2000. Two, three, four, five was the height of the market around here, and people will tell you that they bought a home in two thousand four, five, six, and they had to sell. You know, three to seven or ten years ago, they were hurting. They weren't. You know, they lost money on their home. Mm. Um, but as with everything, it's like a stock market. If you just hold, you're fine. So people that bought in two thousand four, if 
you know, if you hold your home, held your home and haven't sold, sold it since today. then, who cares? Like you didn't lose any money. You might have your property values would have decreased, but if you're still living in it, who cares? And then, you know, now, and what has happened, we've totally rebounded. I, th- I think we're actually stronger now um, dollar amount than we were back then. And we hit this about two years ago. We started to kind of feel like the equilibrium. And about a year and a half ago, we switched. We started to go into a seller's market. And anybody right now that's out there looking for homes will, will agree. You can just pull any buyer out there, and they will tell you there's no homes out there, which that's the layman term of people on the street. But what that means is we're in a seller's market. Yep. And yep. I truly believe right now that the only way we're going to come out of a seller's market is you have two things. Unless you have a bunch of people that are going to sell, which I don't believe is going to happen because I think, if anything, we're just the population of our area is just going to go up with some great things. It's growing. The economic. Yep. I mean, I, I give all but, the, I mean, well, I mean, there's a lot of people, but, you know, you take like the chamber, you take the things they're doing with the, you know, the economic development and, and, you know, downtown revitalization, all these things that are really focusing on making our area a better place. And all the manufacturers and employers that are deciding to come here. Investing in our area. Yeah. And and these are the people that are bringing in out-of-state people that are hopefully going to start families here and, and contribute to our area. And from a housing perspective, the only way I think we're going to get out of this is because I don't think we're at the height of a seller's market. I think it's only going to get, I think we're going to see this for a few years. I only, I think the only way we can do it is if we get some type of out of area development where people are going to invest for housing complexes and condos mm. and subdivisions. Um, and what's going to happen there is again, Plattsburgh's only so big. You're going to start seeing West Shazy get more populated. Shazy, Peru, Skylar Falls. They're going to slowly branch out of the city um, into those farming, you know, the, and now granted, this is not going to happen over the next five years. I'm talking, this is yeah. 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, 10, 20, 30, however far you want to go. I mean, just if anybody's look, look down, you know, route three used to be a cornfield. And then now you take Tom Miller road, Tom Miller road is popping up. You know, all these companies are coming in and pop, you know, going down by, um, industrial Boulevard down there. Um, out on the base, you know, they got money coming in and, and Development Corp has done a great job out there. And you take all these people coming to the area, um, it's we're eventually going to get the houses. I mean, p- you'll get big development companies investing in our area because they know there's opportunity and they know people like, hey, we can turn a profit from a company standpoint, but people around here are going to be like, good Lord, good, we have homes, to, like good quality homes that we can buy and sustain the population because – you know, people have no place to live and do stuff. They're not going to come here. So that is going to be a problem, I think, coming um, in the future. And I think just the cost of building right now is so expensive. Like just to mm. like, I there's there's lots for sale. There's a ton of building lots for sale, but the cost to build right now is so expensive that you know people can't afford it. And oh yeah, and you know to buy and for someone to buy a home, I mean, there's some new subdivisions going up, and it's crazy when you look at those homes and in the size of them, what they're selling for. But it's just, again, it's, it's supply and demand. The prices have risen. Um, Interesting. Yeah. You know, the other question that I, I wanted to ask you, uh, because I feel like it's the classic real estate question. I bet you could guess what my question is going to be. How's the market? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, you kind of just said that. but okay, I did. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, well, I'd be curious uh, after I ask. But I, I think you've answered this a few times through uh, your social media. But and, and those the videos and things. But do you want one more guess? What my question is? 
<laughs> like I, no I, what how does someone navigate the dynamic and the balance of trying to buy a home while selling their home oh yes so I, I do have some videos on this i feel like this is the classic question that everybody comes into they're like oh shit how do i how do i make that work right perfect okay so i do have some videos on this um shameless plug check check it out on youtube i call this the real estate catch 22 and you, everybody's hurt or the chicken and the egg which one came first um so the idea and what Ryan's describing is if somebody's looking to purchase a property, and this happens a lot. This could be a young – we did it um, back in October. Um, we needed a bigger home. Our family was expanding. Um, this could be someone downsizing. Maybe the kids are gone off to college, and they don't need the big colonial home anymore. They want a nice, small, efficient um, ranch home or a condo. So what do you do? Okay, So you have a home. You have to sell it. The only way you can purchase a home, meaning your financing is contingent on you, getting money from the sale of your home to afford to buy the next home. Exactly. And this is a very common thing. I mean, this happens every day. I mean, this is not like it's a, a um, an odd scenario. I mean, I bet you this happens, man, 50% of the time probably in most, most situations. Well, I, I feel like most people would, like when they're buying their home, they're thinking, okay, how can I get equity? How can I build equity? Okay, how can I use that equity and leverage it forward? That's exactly the question. Yeah. Yeah, so so a couple things. So it's from an equity standpoint. So I'll take you and Lauren perspective. Okay, so you guys put a down payment on the house and you guys have been in it for three years and you know what you obviously what you purchased the home for. So if I asked you what's your mortgage payoff right now, like well, how much do you still owe on this property? Okay, you have that number in your head. Yep. So then what we have to do, if you say, Galen, hey, me, we, we, got, we need a bigger house or we need a different, it doesn't even have to be a bigger house. We just need, uh, we need to sell this and move into another home. First thing I ask you, okay, is why are you selling? I got to know the reason why you're selling. Are you upsizing, downsizing? Unfortunately, is there a divorce situation? Is there, do you have a kid on the way? Um, you know, it, all, all these whole, is it a new job? Do you just want a different area? Um, so I get why the person's selling. Cause at, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to accomplish is to accomplish their why. And their why might not be money. Their why might be, Hey, listen, I got to move closer. I got to move out of, out of town to be near my family, uh, near my kids, near my grandkids, whatever it might be. So I always start at, why are you selling? Um, once I get their why, then we start talking about, okay, how much do you owe on the home? Okay. Oh, this number. Okay, great. Then I go through what I call short we call comps but they're comparable home sales so this is homes that have actually sold so it's not the the classic um well they're asking two hundred thousand down the road okay i get it they're asking that it's different from what they're selling at it's still on the market for a reason it's not worth two hundred thousand so we get that a lot where if you're looking at if you're looking at that if you're looking at the zestimate on zillow i mean if you're looking at all these like (laughs) oh my god yeah you don't get me started on that i got videos on that too so check the check the youtube page but when you're looking at all these things that at the end of the day, it's we have to look at what has actually sold. It's kind of like you saying, like, I can run a mile in this time. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, do you have like video of you running a mile in that time? Like, no, but just trust me. It's, it's you know, yeah. it's one of those things. So we have to know actually what the home is sold for. Um, so once I have that, I, I put it down. And again, the thing with real estate, I'll answer your question. This is going kind of no, no, a little I like- tangent, but I'll get back to it. So. 
You're um, setting the stage. I like setting it very the stage. Much. Yes. So, so what would happen <laughs> is well, I go over the comps. Now, I always tell people the market is the market, meaning buyers are only going to give you what the home is worth in this market because real estate's a very odd industry in that there's no price tag. Meaning, when you go, when you went and bought that computer, there was a price tag. You didn't go up to the the person at the desk and say, "Can I give you two hundred dollars less?" No, you paid if you wanted it, you paid that price and you got it. Real estate's not like that. Any price out there on a home is up for negotiations. Now, could the seller say, I'm not moving off that price? Sure, they could. That's their rock bottom price. They either sell it at that price or they hold, you know, never keep, sell it. Well, never <laughs> sell it until the, eventually the property values get high enough that someone will pay it. Um, but so what happens is there's no price in real estate, meaning everything's negotiable, everything's an ask price until it's actually agreed upon between two parties. So what would happen is, I go over all those numbers to somebody. I can say, hey, listen, I would love for you to sell your home at 300000 but it's worth about two fifteen. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm using other homes that have recently sold. Now, it's not just that easy, okay? So then there's other factors in. So I get, I know the range it's going to sell for. I'm lucky enough in my industry that I'm extremely active that majority of the homes that I'm using for comps, I have been in. So I have first-person first experience saying, Okay, this had this, this. I can really do like a plus minus in my head to kind of figure out, okay, I get it. You're telling me all the positives about your home, but I can tell you the negatives. I can tell you the positives about this other home that you're not, you're saying the negative here and the positive about your house. So I can really fine tune and get the number and say, it's going to sell in this range. Now I can't be exact because it comes down to what a buyer is going to pay, but I'm pretty good at at finding a, a and when I say a range, I'm not giving you like a thirty thousand dollar range. Like I can pretty much pinpoint it probably down to the five to ten thousand dollar mark, and I'm pretty confident I can get it down very close to that. And if I'm off, I'm not off by much. And that's just time. It's taken me time to get mm-hmm. to that level. Mm-hmm. But but then I look at okay, we have an idea what homes have sold for. Okay, what's on the market right now? Let's check the actives. Who's your competition? Okay, I've been in that home. I've been in that home. I've been in that home. We got to strategically price the property now not to overprice it. And then if I have somebody that's really thinks their house is worth more, okay, then I go through all the homes that haven't sold, the expired listings or the homes that have been on the market for 100, 200 days that haven't sold. Okay, you want to sell at this price bracket. Here's some homes that I think are actually worth more than yours, and they've been on the market this long. Your house isn't worth that. Now, granted, at the end of the day, I'm working for the seller in this scenario. If they want to ask a certain price, they more than – they can ask whatever they want. It's your job to constantly. I that's that's all yeah. I am, and and it's funny. I I think that real estate like a licensed real estate salesperson is not the correct term. Um, I mean it, that's what I'm licensed as at New York State, but I really find myself as more of a consultant, meaning I'm coming in to advise you or an advisor. I'm coming in to advise you on what you should do. I'm giving you the knowledge of the market. I'm giving you my knowledge of the industry. I'm giving you my all the nuances that happen day to day that 99% of people don't know about. People might, you know, the for sale by owners and all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of stuff you don't understand. You're looking at the very surface. There's a lot of like nitty gritty layers to transactions and deals and people yeah. and everything else that people aren't experienced with. I do this hours and hours and hours a day. And we, I, on the last podcast I did with um, Ellie and Jordan the other day, um, we talked about the 10,000 hour rule and I think I calculated how many hours I think I've put in right now. And I think it's like 120,000. 
So like the 10,000 hour rule was kind of, it was some like yeah. crazy thing that we came up and I was like, oh, oh, well, it's like kind of a bad analogy because I, I thought I was like maybe like 8,000. I'm like, I'm kind of getting to like that expert status. I'm like, I probably hit that years ago. But I think that the idea is, what I'm saying about that analogy is that I've, I've put so much time into understanding the market. I mean, I look at homes all day long. I, I go into homes all day long. Every day I'm in multiple homes. And what it allows me to do is understand the market. And I, in part of it too is like a gut feeling I get a lot. Someone might ask me a price. And, and again, it's kind of like a, almost like a sixth sense or whatever. I don't know how to explain it, but I just get a feeling for your home that, and it could be the area. It could be just kind of the way the market is. It could be my experience with other buyers and sellers. And I could say, you know what? Why don't we, why don't we move the price to here? Or why don't we actually, let's strategically put it here. And what's funny is when I go to like a listing appointment, I have a general idea, but what it, it comes down to also what you need. So what's your why? Then the market, it's like a Venn diagram. Do, is, there, is there an overlap between what you want to get and what the market's willing to give? And then we got to be strategic about it to try to maximize the price, get the best terms, and minimize the days on the market. All that stuff comes into play. And a lot of it, at a listing appointment, I might go over two or three different list prices, maybe even four, that we're spitballing back and forth. And it takes me time to almost talk myself into certain prices hmm. and get on the same page. It's not as simple as just saying price it here. Like I, When I put a price on a home, it's very thought out. Like I don't, I don't think, and I don't know. Again, I'm coming from a position of being kind of on the inside. I don't know what people yeah. look at, but when I put a price on a home, it is very calculated. And I think it's funny. I closed on a deal today. This is a perfect example. It was a double wide, and we listed the double wide at 179, I think, for double wide. Now that's crazy like most double yeah. don't sell that high yeah and i remember i went to a realtor event um a couple days after it was listed and uh i, I had a few agents kind of razzing me about oh double wide like good luck selling that at one hundred and seventy nine thousand. well we closed today at 184 and the reason and it was kind of funny it was kind of like I, i'm not gonna go throw it in anybody's face but it's just kind of like a validation that like i did my homework and i put it at a a very strategic price where we were actually able to get her more money. Could we have started at a higher price, negotiated down, and then she would have lost more money? We could have, but because she was, I had done my homework on it, which most people would have thought that would have been crazy. Why would you list it that high? But th for whatever reason, that's the number I just had a gut feeling would be the right number. And it actually Interesting. was perfect. And my goal every time I, I list a home is I want to get multiple offers and sell over the asking price, which is the the idea. And some people could say, well, I want to start higher and give myself room to negotiate. You, you can do that. You can certainly do whatever you want. But what happens is as people start going through your home and you're, you know, 20,000 overpriced or even 15,000 or 10,000 over budget, all these people that are ready to make offers, they're going through your home and saying, it's nice, but we're just not willing to pay that pay that much. So what happens? You go a month, you get all these people that are jacked up to make offers, especially in this market right now where people are like hurrying up to put offers in. Yeah. What happens is if you if you strategically price it and those people are coming through the market or coming in and all of a sudden they see a house, well, they're going to give you asking price because they're, they're nervous that the next person is going to make an offer and they're going to lose it. Where if you're too high and all these people go through, finally someone comes up to the property and goes, uh, I guess I'll... Now I'm going to lowball them. I'm going to go 
yep. 20,000 below value. Yeah. I'm the only offer. So now I have the leverage as the buyer because the seller started overpriced. Now the seller's chasing the market down. Now the seller's asking for more concessions. Now they're asking for more throw-ins. And now, now the yep. seller is trying to yep. go overboard to make this deal work. Where if they would have just been more aggressive at the start and been more strategic and priced it correctly, all of a sudden, now you're getting two, three offers. Somebody waived a home inspection. Somebody's coming in with this financing. Somebody, you know, uh, is making a cash offer that's going above and beyond the purchase. All these like scenarios that is like a dream to a seller happens when you do your homework and price it um, strategically. And I, I I haven't done this yet. I I really should look, but I want to see what my days on the market are compared to the board average or just, or even like, even the more like um, active people in, in, in real estate. Cause I, I think mine would be significantly lower and not, to, but I think because it's taken time to get to that level, but I really think I'm, I have a lot of confidence in myself when I go to list properties. Like I, I, I don't just throw a number out there uh, like a spur, like, eh, let's just try it. It's thought out. Um, now, sometimes could it be higher than what I wanted to because maybe the seller wanted to go higher? And at the end of the day, they set the price. Again, I'm just advising them on what they should do. But when a seller listens to me, and I know the ones that listen to me, and they're usually the ones that are very happy at the end because we're able to sometimes go above and beyond what they were originally going to get. And that's, to me, a great feeling because we thought, hey, best case scenario was this, and we actually exceeded that. And that's really fun. Um, to be able to do because it gives you a sense of pride in your work that I was able to help these people, you know, make more than they thought they were going to make and accomplish something and move on to the next step of life. But that whole thing, <laughs> I was just going to say, was how to, sorry, so, it was, yeah. was a tangent on how we list property. But the reason would be, it's kind of leads into my next point is when you talked about the, the catch 22 of real estate, about how do we, as, as how do we navigate, we have to sell and then buy a home. So, my scenario right now is because we're in a seller's market, most people, this is what they think. Well, we're going to go find a home. And because people are buying homes so quickly, we'll just find a home and then we'll put our home on the market. Perfect. We'll put, we'll buy a home, we'll put our house on the market. We'll be under contract. The problem with that logic is I get it. You, you there's a good chance you could sell your property fast, but if you found a really good home and you made an offer on it, the market we're in, somebody else is making an offer too. The problem is when you make an offer on that home, you have to put down that you have to sell your home. We call that a 72-hour contingency clause. That's the worst contingency clause to have, or that's the, yeah, the worst contingency to have in a home uh, in a contract. Mm. The reason being is because the sell the buyer is telling the seller or telling the seller we want to buy your home, but we got to sell our house. Well, what what? now happens there like once a house gets accepted in price there's there's a lot of work still to be done to, to um, get a deal together i had a deal fall apart today from a home inspection and that happens back to the drawing board but home goes back on the market buyer goes back out and starts looking again and all the work you did right now basically tear it up throw it in the garbage start over from scratch uh from scratch and that's like the hard realization for realtors when they start out is like that's yeah. crushing yeah i had i had this year one time first time in my career i had Five, five or six deals fall apart in a week. Like talk about a blow. And, wow. and, and, but if we talk about gumption, it, it, it bothered me for about, you know, two minutes. And then I was like, well, you know what? It is what it is. What can we do now to just, you know, make the situation better? Um, but I don't think that happens to a lot of people and you got to have a lot of, uh, I guess, self-belief and grinding it out to take, you know, six deals that fall apart in one week from inspections. A couple of them I had on double ends on them and they all fell apart. And, 
homes go back on the market and then you start working with buyers again. And then, you know, all this work that you had done previously is just wiped away. Yeah, it sucks. But at the end of the day, you know, gumption, you got to keep going, you know? So, so, so if I want, I don't want to sell my home, but someday we will, we're going to, you know, this is our starter home. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal starter home. Uh, but let's say today was the day. Yep. I, I think we're ready. Uh, Galen, we're going to go. We want to sell this home. Uh, we want to find we want to find a home on Cumberland Head. We grew up on Cumberland Head, maybe on the water. Uh, we're going to wait to do anything until we find our dream home on the water. Is that right or wrong? And okay, why? So, so I'm going to I'm going to go in this market right now and I'll, I'll tailor it to a buyer's market after. But right now, currently in the seller's market. Like I said, sorry, this is taking a long circle to get to this point. But in a seller's market right now, my suggestion to anybody is to list your property now. Because you, yes, can you get a buyer for your home 100%? I want to see you as a buyer have your home under contract, get through the home inspection, be on your way to closing so we know that's pretty much a done deal. Then when you go make an offer on a home, you can show that seller, hey, here's a purchase offer on our current property. We're good to go. We don't have to sell, sign a 72-hour. Nobody can come in and bump our offer out because we have this contingency clause. You can make an offer and get the home that you want. This happened to me earlier this year, and I have a couple buyers right now that I've, I've been telling them this, and, I, and, and it's, it's, it's frustrating because I know what's ultimately going to happen. Unfortunately, it's almost like they got to skin their knee kind of thing before they realize what they got to do. But I had a scenario this year. People found a home they absolutely loved, made an offer, got accepted. They were extremely happy. We put their house on the market the next day. And I think the day after we put their home on the market, another offer came, bumped them out, and they were upset they lost the home. Now, I've been telling them basically two months prior to this, they had to have to get their home on the market to avoid this scenario. It didn't happen. And they unfortunately mm-hmm. were at the probably, you know, the not good end of that scenario. Um, so... And the other thing for people to realize, too, is that when you put your home on the market in this scenario, you're not going to get kicked out of your home. You're not going to be homeless. There's We, we put in the contracts. <laughs> that was my next question. We, we put in the contracts um, verbiage that will that will save you or give you a buffer from getting into that scenario, meaning— I need four months. So, like, for you—yeah, so for yeah. you guys, if you, um, you guys sell your home, you make an offer on another house, or say— Somebody makes an offer in your house in the first week it's on in the, in that contract, it would say contingent on the sellers closing on a new property. Meaning if you don't close on a new property, you are not selling that house because it's all written out on paper and everybody assigned and agreed to it knowing you guys have to find a home. So what happens two months in all of a sudden it's getting close to winter and, and you and Lauren are like, God, we just can't find a home. We just... I think we're just going to stay in the house for the winter. Maybe look in the uh, you go back and start looking in the spring. You can break the contract. You didn't close on a new home. You're fine. There's no no obligation you now have. Nothing. There's no penalty for you. You guys weren't able to satisfy that contingency of the contract, and you take a home off the market. Um, Seems like there'd be a constant like chain of like I need to. I'm a I'm a seller, so I need to buy. I need to buy a new home before you can have mine. Well, my buyer of my home has, you know, their own like 
home that they're trying to sell, and it's like this continued the, interconnectivity that must yeah, complicate. I, I deals. call it the I call it the domino effect. Yeah, and the problem with and and it is, but like, sorry, let me let me. I'll, I'll get to that first. I want to get this thought out. So sure. So so you guys, we put that contingency in that you guys would sell that property prior to you know that you would have to close on a property prior to selling. On the on the same token. Even if you had your home under contract, we would still put on your new contract contingent on you closing on your home. Meaning if you don't close on your property or you don't close on that property, it wipes both contracts out. So you're not obligated on either side. Mm. So it saves you. So like for like mm. anybody I tell, like if you put your home on the market and you get an offer on your house, you're good. Like that's an insurance policy, meaning you have your home for sold. Um there's no negative to it. I mean, the only negative is if for some reason you go six, seven months and finally the buyer of your home's like, okay, like we got to move on because you're taking too long to find a home. That happens very rarely. Most people are actively looking and will find a home. But that is my suggestion in today's market as a seller's market. You're yes, I get it. You want to find a home and then put your home on the market because it can sell quick. Most likely a buyer is going to come in because you bought a home. Obviously it's a good home and you want it. Another buyer is going to find the same value in it, come and bump you out. Um, happens, unfortunately happens to people. And my, my suggestion to anybody is put your house on the market first. I'm not asking you to do that, to get a sale. Like that's the last, again, I'm not motivated by trying to sell your property to make money. Like that's the least thing well, in my mind. At the end of the day, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win that deal, so to speak, unless you find them their new home anyway. Correct. Like my, my whole, my whole thing has to work out or it's not going to work out for anybody. Yeah. So like when I'm telling you to put your home on the market is because I want to make sure that you can get into that next home. And I know that's the way to do it. If you want to, if you think that, well, you just want us to list the property so you can get a sale. Like it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get paid until any of them close, but like, I know you're not going to get into that next house unless you listen to what I'm telling you right now. Um, and like I said, some people have to learn the hard way and lose out on the house. And then finally like, okay, we'll put our house on the market, get under contract and go back out and look. Mm. Um, so that's how that would work. Now the domino effect of all that, that part is frustrating because if any of those say you have, and I've seen this before, someone's buying a house, who's buying a house, who's buying a house. You have like five or six buyers and sellers involved in this. One of those deals fall apart. It breaks that chain and you have five or six families that aren't accomplishing something because of something. That's why I'm saying that 72 hour contingency is the worst contract you can have. The worst contingency contingency you can have as a buyer or a seller. Um, but it's common because people are in that scenario. Um, mm. so when you go on a multiple offer scenario and that's on your offer as you know, you better be <laughs> giving the seller a pretty solid, uh, bonus on top of the offer to make them want to be willing to stay longer and, and, uh, accept your offer because, you know, because they're putting the, the risk of you not closing on your property on them selling it to you. Interesting. So there's a lot of risk to it. Um, but it is popular because of naturally people going from the starter home to the second home or second home to the, you know, the retirement or downsizing home. You're a wealth of knowledge, my friend. I feel like you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. And there's so much to learn. But I think what we need to do... Um, are you ready for the rapid fire section? I hope these are the same questions you gave me. You, you teed them up for me, right? You sent them to me? I may or may not. Okay, have. so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts, you've probably heard them before. But the first one, question number one, what's a book you would gift to a friend and why would you gift that book? Okay, so 
to preface this when Ryan sent me a couple questions and I was like, I'm usually pretty good off the cuff, but when it comes to rapid fire, I'm like, it's not that I can't give you an answer, but I wanted to give you a good answer. Probably like my <laughs> best answer. So I actually like took time to, to fill this thing out today. That's why I gave you some questions ahead of time. Get your brain juices flowing. Yeah. So, so my first, if Galen Trombley doesn't write it down, he doesn't remember it usually. Or email myself. So, <laughs> which is a true story. I, I have a terrible memory. But the I, I did two books. And the reason I did, my all-time favorite book is The Great Gatsby. Um, absolutely love that book. I think it is one of, I think it is a true classic book in the sense of F. Scott Fitzgerald did not, unlike myself, he was very good with words and was very um, concise with his wording. And I think that book is under 200 pages, but every word of that book is thought out and calculated and has a meaning. He did not ramble on like you've probably heard me on my podcast or on here. He was a very <laughs> uh, well thought out speaker. And I think the story, there's a lot of um, great, and people have seen the movie and stuff, but I, I read this back in high school and uh, I was lucky enough to have um, our librarian, who's a good friend of mine um, still to this day. Um, his favorite book of all time is The Great Gatsby, and I think he he might have rubbed that off onto me and, and a few other uh, students. But I just think the story has such a great storyline, and I think there's so Absolutely. many good ups and downs. And um, I mean, you can watch the movie. Obviously, the movie is going to give you the the general premise, but read the book. I think it's phenomenal. Every every couple of years, I try to reread it. Um, so that would be the book from a personal just love of that book. Um, I I think a book to a friend that I would want to help him out with. I have a in my um, office. I have a lot of books and a lot of them are self-help. I say self-help, but they're like, um, I read a lot of nonfiction books more mm -hmm. so than fiction. Yeah. Um, the one book that I would probably give, and I think that had the biggest impact on me and I think really got my brain kind of thinking from a better perspective on business and life and, and kind of financing and things. Um, rich dad, poor dad. I'm sure, I don't know if you've heard, I've of, heard it. of it. Yeah. Um, I actually gave it to one of our, um, one of the younger girls that works with us and, and she read it. And I think, I, I think I read that when I was 16 or 17 and it's, I, th I don't know if it's, it's a semi true, I think partially fiction or fictionalized, but it's, it's a very good, I, uh, basically what it talks about is this boy had a rich dad and a poor dad. His, his real father was a poor dad, meaning he wasn't very good with his money. The rich dad used money to his advantage to, basically get ahead in life and, and be sec financially secure and get out of like the rat race of life. And I, I know like I'm not a big money person, but you still need to have the the perspective and you got to have the um, the knowledge of how to get ahead in life. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that this book is a very quick read. I think if you haven't read it, and again, my dad actually gave this to me when I was, I was in high school and I've had a couple people read it since and, and I've read it a couple times and it, it's just one of those where I think it's the first book that I read that really opened my eyes to kind of a higher thinking in regards to like life because we had been so used to reading textbooks and, and novels and you know these books in high school that we didn't really read we had to read but we didn't really enjoy reading them and then that really gave me the idea of hey this is kind of like what to expect after high school graduation and I've, I think from that time on, I've always had a very, um, you know, I've thought thoughts older than I should be. Uh, you know what I mean? I was, yep. I was more of a, yep. a wiser, like I, 
I was an old 20 or old 25 or an old 29 now. Like I, I just, I think that my, my, my brain works probably a decade or two in the future than what it probably should, like most kids my age were thinking about at 20. Yeah. My mind was a little bit, I think farther along in regards to, I was thinking more of future stuff versus like, I think it has to do with the marathon idea, like, yep. like yep. delayed gratification. So great Gatsby, rich dad, poor dad. Love it. Yeah. Question number two. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self if you could? So the so I put two down. There's probably a lot, but I think the first two is be patient, which I've always been good at, but don't don't stress out about school and stuff and, and just keep like working hard kind of deal. Like you life's long and I know like it goes like people think of it goes by in the blink of an eye kind of thing because your memory is still there. But the day-to-day, like I look at it now at 29, like then I look back the last 10 years, and then I look at our parents who we always thought were old. Now I'm like, God, our parents are you know in their 50s, and I'm like, that's not that old. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And so I think the idea of just knowing that everything's long-term, so be kind of patient on that. And I put number two, um, meet people. And I think one thing I didn't do great, I didn't go away to college. Um, I stayed home. I didn't meet – I have – Zero friends from college. I didn't meet anybody. Mm. I knew acquaintances, meaning I worked out with them on a project or was in class with them or might have, like, I, di- I didn't go to my, my college graduation. I didn't walk. I didn't stay on campus. I got out in three and a half years. And part of this has to do with rich dad, poor dad. I literally got out of college with zero debt. And I tried to get through college with as little financial burden as I could. I have never had student loans in my life. Knock on wood, I was lucky enough to do it without. Um, I got my real estate license at the age of 20 when I was still in college, and I knew by the time I was kind of getting ready to get out of college that that's what I wanted to do after school. So I pretty much kind of punted my my college. I got a degree, um, but I knew before I got my degree I was never yeah, going to use it. I just was like, I'm, I'm never going to go back to school, so let me just finish up. I could have easily been a college dropout, but not in a bad sense, but but I just would have – I basically just finished what I started because I was already I already had yep. probably two and a half three years committed into it, so I just finished the rest of it. But um, meeting people. meeting people yeah. because I didn't do it in college. Um, I wish I would have. I but I started to meet a lot of people probably around the age of twenty two, twenty three, and I think over the last few years through like a lot of networking and professional meeting other young professionals has allowed me to. I I I work a lot because I love what I do. Um, and when I'm not working, I'm with family and like I'm with my kids and my wife, like on the weekends, like I don't do a lot of fun stuff that I otherwise normally used to do. So I try to make my business life, my social life as best as I can, meaning I have a blast every day when I'm working. I try to align myself with good people. I try to, you know, if I can have a meal with a, with a buddy or something, I try to do that. Um, a lot of it is I try to mix and make that my fun social time because when I'm not working for my family, I'm spending time with my family. So I think mm. the meeting people aspect is there's just a lot of incredible people out there, a lot of good people. And I think by meeting them, you know, you're just, you're just, it's better to just know good people. And I think what happens is as you meet better and better people, people that aren't so good in your life leave and you really align yourself with a strong team. And I think I've been able to do that. And every, every year is fine tuning that. Um, but I feel more confident in my 
my crew of friends now than I ever have just because I think they are like-minded individuals and we're all helping each other grow. So meeting people um, and just introducing yourself and talking to people opens yep. up doors and opportunities. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think um, I think I've been very lucky and privileged in sort of the early career uh, I had with the Boy Scouts uh, as a director of nonprofit. I was just forced at a very young age, right after college, to meet all these people because I had to, not because I wanted to. I was still young and trying to figure it out, and I didn't even know if that's what I wanted to do for my career. I kind of fell into it. I wanted to be a teacher. But uh, by meeting people, I have launched myself on a trajectory unlike anything I ever imagined for myself. And and again, I have to wake up every day and, and bring it. But to your point, meeting people, it's a powerful thing. Um, number three, you ready? If you can only have one more meal, that's it. One meal. And that's the end of Galen Trombley. It's kind of dark, but what's what's the one meal? So, again, I have two options here because I wasn't sure. Is it one more meal and I'm, I croak and I'm out? Or is it one more meal for the rest of my life? Like I have to eat the same thing every meal. Ah, good question. Um, I'll give you both answers if you want. You know what? Because they're different. <laughs> You've given me two answers for every question. Let me just keep the so theme? Just, just do that. <laughs> so people can see how I, I might work. I'm just, I try to be prepared for everything. So um, the first meal, nobody will know what this is. Um, it's called peas and hamburger. And I know it sounds weird. It has been a family staple on my mom's side for as long as I can remember. It is hamburger and peas mixed with like, I think like a tomato kind of paste and you mix it up almost like a shepherd's pie and serve it with mashed potatoes. You put the mashed potatoes down, you scoop that on top and you eat it. When we used to go to my grandmother's house as a kid, it was like, what are we eating? It has onions in it and stuff. What are we eating? Mashed potatoes like or a piece of hamburger with mashed potatoes. Like that is the consensus. Number one, everybody loves it <laughs> to this day. Still tastes phenomenal. I've had people make it. My mom's made it. I, I will eat it. It's very good, but it's not grandma's. And I, for some reason, maybe it's a nostalgic thing. That would be it. Um, if I had to eat one more, if I could only eat, Oh, maybe I might actually change this. If I had to eat one more meal for the rest of my life, like I had to eat it at every meal. The first one I actually put down was a Chipotle bowl because I love those. But I think I'm gonna, I think I'm actually gonna divert it to, which is kind of like my normal life. Um, I really like sushi, so maybe sushi would be the one that I would have consistently all the time. Mm. If I had to pick one meal for like the rest of my life, like a sushi menu of stuff, um, but a one-time deal, one and done, would be the pizza and hamburger for my childhood. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Life-changing conversation. Yeah. Uh, here's one. I don't think I sent you this one. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. That's no. all right. Make, make, make me think quick. Question like, number four. If you can spend or could spend one hour with anyone in the world, maybe they're alive or maybe they're deceased, who would it be and what would you want to ask him or her? anyone there's a few i like <laughs> no I'll, I'll give you there's there's one person i mean from a perspective of like i know you could ask like you know family stuff or or 
you know, Jesus or, or you know, so, something like very far back. And I, I wish I could say like a more philosophical like answer. I, I'm very big on like I value the past a lot in the sense that I think it's cool. I think history is great. Um, I'm not one that dwells on the past kind of person. So I think to go back in time to hear someone talk about like how we got to a certain point, which I do like because I had this conversation before about how like successful people get to where they are. But I don't really I don't know if I know of anybody that would really want to listen to. I would rather listen to something that someone that's going to be able to help me propel my way forward in life. So I think it would have to be probably some like forward thinking individual. Um, I don't know if I'd have like a name, but I'll give you kind of like a sphere of people like a like an Elon Musk who's very visionary or like I said, a Jeff Bezos or uh, Mark Zuckerberg or these people are, are a, a person I really, I don't know, if, I mean, some people might know of them, like Gary Vaynerchuk, like these yep. people that yep. are very forward, progressive thinking um, individuals that I, I value what they talk about and think about because it's it's kind of how my brain works on a lot of stuff. And I would like to just get their perspective and advice and just mindset of how to keep growing and getting better so about improving so like i said i wouldn't i don't think i'd go in the past i think i'd want to get help going forward that Mm. makes sense so i don't know if i have one person but it'd be someone like that like a a a business-minded visionary going forward in life that i'd want to talk to i like and kind of pick their brain i like it a lot i think i'd probably have somebody in that in that sphere as well um final question number five the infamous board of directors question mr trombley if you could have a board of directors a three-person board of directors to guide and mentor you through the rest of your life alive deceased famous or not who would those three individuals be on your personal board of directors (laughs) and why so I actually filled I filled this one out and it was funny because I've actually listened to you talk, you ask people this and what I thought was kind of cool was I've heard some people talk about they'd want like their friends or they'd want their family or you know people that are or some people like a random famous person I I it's kind it's kind of funny because two of these people on the list I kind of would consider them on my professional board of directors or my life board of directors. You know both of them. And the third one, you you know of the person I've already mentioned. But so I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way kind of more homegrown. So the I first one out, out of the three would be um, Gary Vaynerchuk. The reason being is I've been following – He people have now heard of this guy. Like he's kind of a big up and – He's and a coming. big deal now. He's a big deal now. I first started following him in 2011. So I've been following him for nine years and before he did all this crazy stuff and, you know, people saw him here and there and everywhere. And before he had all his Ask Gary V shows and Daily V's, like I've seen all those. Like I've, I've literally said, I remember him doing old school keynotes is when I first learned of him. And I just really resonated with what he is about and what he says. And, and some people might think he comes off as arrogant or whatever, but I think that guy has so much passion and so, and the other thing this he works hard. He is very much kind of like a balance of like, I, I, I kind of balance my life similar to him. He's very, 
he's a very positive people person, which I find that I try to be as best I can, meaning I'm very accepting of people. Um, I like people. I, I, you know, I'm very, he's very, his big word is like empathy, but I'm very empathetic to people. Like I, everybody comes from a different perspective, has a different backstory, has a different life situation, has different stresses in life. I'm very um, empathetic to that fact in, in that, in the sense that I'm not going to judge any decision you make. Cause I'm not you, I don't live in, you know, I don't live with you. I'm not, you know, I'm not part of you and Lauren's life, you know, so whatever you guys do, that's on you. Um, obviously I'll be there as a, a friend to support you and do all that stuff, but people live their own life. Do, do your own thing. Don't worry about what other people want to, you know, you to do and kind of carve your own path on the, on your terms. And I think he is starting a, a huge you know, I say revolution of people with that mindset and he's, but he's coming from a position of, of helping, being good, being positive, spreading positivity, trying to help people out. And I've really, and I think a lot of that has been ingrained in me over almost, well, probably eight, nine years of, of hearing him talk and hearing his kind of like spew his thoughts onto me that I really try to live my life like that. And not just from like a social media perspective, which I take a lot of what he does, but just the way I carry myself by trying to help others and trying to, you know, we talk about like our other young professionals, trying to help them out. What can I do for you kind of thing? Like I don't need, mm. like yeah. you know yeah. how you can help me out, but what can I do for you? How can I help you? Do you need help here? Whatever it is, I'm trying to come from a position of giving more than taking um, because I, I like helping people. That's why I'm in the business of what I do. Um, so he would be number one, and that's my only person that's not a local person. Um, the other two individuals, which is, is funny. I've actually seen them both in the last two days. Um, they're the two people that I've had one. Um, I'll do my, my, actually I'll, I'll, I'll do my, my next one. I'll go rip the list. Adam, Adam Crosley is my next one. You know, Adam, um, of course. And, uh, of course. A- Adam is shout out to Adam Crosley. Shout out, shout out to Adam. And what people don't know, and Adam's been around and I, we just had a good conversation the other day about this. I've been meeting with Adam. It was on your podcast episode with him. He, he was on my podcast. Um, you talked about this, I think. Me and Adam go way back. And I said way back professionally, meaning right. he reached out to me randomly um, in 2011. I was a new agent, did not know anything. He opened his doors and basically said like, hey, do you want to, you know, meet up, you know, get coffee or come meet at the office and talk about stuff. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I think both being kind of young, he's a, he's a few years older than me, but and he had been in the business at this point. I think he's about five years older than me. And I think he's been in the mortgage industry four or five years longer than me. So he's always, he kind of reached out and I was being a younger guy and I said, great. So I took him up on it and we have been meeting consistently every other week for nine years and pretty much without fail. Um, and he is one of those people that we've, I've, I kind of joke about it, but I mean, he's been very successful up to this point. And I remember when one of his old companies basically took all the furniture out cause they had switched companies and he was doing work <laughs> on, on a paint can in his office. And I think what, and again, we talk about like people getting to a level of success. I've seen him put in, crazy hours and grind it out and sit on a paint bucket returning phone calls and his whiteboards and everything else and it's amazing to see what he's gotten to and we had this conversation the other day I, I told him I said about three to four years ago I just thought that I wasn't bringing much to the, the relationship because 
he was at a different stage than I was. He was starting a company and running a business and I was just, you know, I was an agent kind of trying to make it through and, uh, but we always stayed in touch. We always gave each other advice. He was asking me higher level advice than I was asking him because we were at different stages. And I think we talked about this, uh, that I'm, I'm slowly catching up to where he was five years ago where now I'm coming into, you know, recruiting and training and building up a company that he started and I'm kind of doing that same kind of on the same trajectory he did in the same time frame but he's always been just a very good like confidant for me I've, I've been able to tell him struggles in my business I've been able to be very open with him about my business and um and he's done the same with me and it's kind of it's kind of one of those things I've been you know we've told each other stuff that we just you know it stays between us like we just don't you know, go out and spread it. It's just like we have a very good confidence in each other that we can just talk to them and it's going to stay between us. And it's just some place where we can get ideas and thoughts out. So, um, and I, you know, he's just been a good friend to me, um, and just a very loyal helping person. And, and, you know, I attribute my success at this level to people that I've met in the past. And he's certainly a big, a big part of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Adam would be one of them, even though, like I said, he's a local guy, but he's just someone that he's also, He's a he's an executor, meaning he does yeah. he 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 doesn't just talk. He 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 accomplishes stuff and he puts stuff in play and he he tinkers and, and fine tunes and and I I find that I'm very much like that and I like that. So you, you'll see a theme on my board. You know what I've learned from Adam? Uh, it it's amazing to kind of see his perspective on how there's always someone who can coach you. Yeah. Like it's so it seems so simple yeah. and cliche, but like to hear him talk about how he has gone so aggressively, he has so aggressively searched for his coaches and his mentors that it it bring it brought to light for me like first of all how important a, a real mentor is, but also a mentor that is there for you long term, which it sounds like he's been for you but also is just on this level that will continue to make you grow. Yeah. They're they're not a peer mentor. Peer mentors are great. Like I would consider you and I like peer mentors. Mm -hmm. Like we can throw ideas off each other and help, but I'm not at a I'm not in the same industry or any, I'm not at a level where I can make you grow like mm -hmm. a another another co a coach or mentor could you know what i'm saying yeah so. and and we talked about it earlier in the podcast about not not settling and staying complacent and being at the level you're at and that's what i like about adam he's never done that he's always growth 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 get better get better improve improve and and i value that i just like people that are at that level i i <clears throat> one of my pet peeves is people that just talk i'm gonna do this i can do that or this is gonna happen or and, and until you can make stuff happen and execute on ideas and, and put stuff in play your word means nothing until you can actually show that you can back it up with your actions and and i'm very big on that's why every day i'm putting stuff into play i'm tinkering i'm trying stuff i'm stepping out of my comfort zone i'm getting on camera i'm posting stuff i'm going to networking events that you know and, and it's 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 just always trying to get better and adam mm. is extremely good at that and it's just something i've always valued about him but number, number three number three and you're going to find that this is going to come full circle and you'll find a theme, which I'll talk about at the very end of why I have these three is, um, and I only met him a couple of years ago, but again, a huge confidant, um, very, the same 
level of openness with I, ha- I have with Adam is uh, Aaron Benner. Dude, Aaron Benner so freaking <laughs> cool. Aaron Benner is the guy is the kid in the room that you want to hang out with. You're like, ah, man, I want to be with it. But then he's also, you get him into a conversation about business. I know exactly where you're going with this, dude. He's He's got he's got the little kid in him that gets you excited, but he's got the savvy, gumptious, hard-ass businessman in him that I know I definitely can learn a lot from. Yeah, and... and uh... <laughs> I met Aaron. This was funny. We just hit our, we call it our two year anniversary. We met at a, uh, we <laughs> met at a career fair. And I remember I went up and talked to him. I don't even know if I knew his name. I knew his company slightly. I didn't even really know what they did. I knew it was like digital marketing. And I'm like, and I kind of was like understanding that space. And I, Boyer Benner Group, for those who aren't correct. Aware. Boyer Benner yeah. Group. Um, I approached him at, and, and again, I'm, I'm a very social person. To an extent, I'm more introverted than I am out uh, extroverted, and I do have a, um, a pretty severe level of social anxiety that I I tackle every time I go to a networking event. And I might, again, we use the duck analogy. I might seem cool and collected. I get nervous going to stuff. I don't. I don't know how many times I've walked into a business after hours. And in my head, I'm fifty fifty whether I just want to turn around, go back in the car, and go home. And I know it's weird, and I always force myself, but that's getting out of my comfort zone. I'm not comfortable. In, going up to people in crowds, but I've, I've gotten better just because of the industry that I'm in. And that's, that's been a challenge that I don't think I talk a lot about, but, um, so that was one of the things we talked and this is kind of like a very crazy and I'm very big on why things happen for a reason. I had that same idea that moment where do I go talk to Aaron? And I had in my head, I was like, do I talk to him or is that kind of weird? I mean, I'm just, maybe I won't talk to him. And, and I kind of, count my blessings that I, I was able to talk myself into talk. I know it sounds kind of stupid at the, at this point, but I, I look at it now, like I was on the fence from even going up and talking to this guy and we talk about it now. And there's a few other things I'm not going to say in the podcast, but I might not be in the same position with this. Like we might not have the relationship we do had I not approached him at that, at that. Um, and it was that close to, so interesting. and, and uh, yeah. so we bring that up a lot and that was two years ago. And, He's just been a guy that um, I can talk. I can say a lot to. Um, he's a he's a few years older than I am, and he's been doing business. He was in sales. Now he's run his own company, and he understands what I talk about when I talk about growth and hiring and 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 just everything that comes with like entrepreneurship. And and it's more than just selling. I mean, I'm selling homes. That's my job. But like, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on outside of just the nat. Just the normal day-to-day business that people don't see. I mean, I'm, I've now stepped into a role of, you know, dealing a little bit with some financing stuff, dealing with, you know, training and leaderships that I've never had to deal with before. And it's someone that I lean on like him and Adam that have done it at a local level and understand what I'm talking about, understand the, you know, the people in the area and, and they can relate to what I'm talking about. But the one thing, and I'm going to kind of wrap it up with like, obviously I've never met Gary, the, the reason I actually say it's kind of cool is I know some people that have met him mm. and know him, and they tell me like what you see is what you get. Like he will, everything you see on camera is him if the cameras were off, and I like that authenticity of him. And the same thing with Adam and Aaron. The reason I pick these three people 
not because they're, I mean, yes, because they're crazy and outgoing in there. But the fact is they're all visionaries. They're all, uh, they're all what I call doers or executors. They're always pushing the limit and trying to get better. I don't want somebody, if I was to have a board of directors, I don't want the person, I want calculated people that calculate risk, but I want people on that board that are willing to take risk and push the envelope. I don't want people that are, are more comfortable sitting there, you know, be, you know, kind of kicking the tire and talking about what should be done. I want people that say we should do this. Now let's do this. And that's why those three people are all what I call very big executioners of, of, of ideas, of plans, of goals. Um, they're all very forward thinking. They're all very positive people and they're, they're fun people to be around, but they bring out the best in me and that I think I have a higher level of, of clarity and thinking when I really sit down with those guys for, for conversations or, meetings or whatever it may be so and I'm lucky to, I am really lucky to have those guys I think in my corner because you know that I, I attribute a lot of my positivity and energy and and day-to-day kind of grinding through their positivity too and um, I mean guys like if I could put this board up to five or seven people like I would get guys like you on there and stuff because I think there's <laughs> other there's there's certainly people that I I look to at like the local level that I have just very good friendships with and that I, I have a very big, you know, trust and confidence in that are positive and, and forward thinking and, and, and trying to help others. And that, that's kind of the theme of the guys that I picked. Um, and yeah, I, I think that I think that crew right there would do a good damn amount of damage in, in a good way. So <laughs> that's phenomenal. Well, dude, Hey, Galen Trombley from Kavanaugh Realty. Uh, really pumped to have you here, buddy. Uh, I hope everybody if, uh, enjoyed this conversation. It's been phenomenal. There's certainly way more that we could we could say and learn, and I certainly learned a lot uh, just about the real estate and and some of those rapid fire questions. It was cool to hear your answers. Uh, I want to give you uh, an opportunity to let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you, how they can follow your social media, and uh, that type of thing. And then we'll thank our sponsors. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to follow me or um, everything is at Galen Trombley um, and the spelling, you'll, if you listen to the podcast, um, Ryan will have it spelled there for you guys. But just simply at Galen Trombley um, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, I really try to be active on those platforms. I also try um, to kind of bring some you know, realism and in the sense of the Instagram where you guys can kind of follow along and I have in my bio, follow my journey, meaning I want people to see me now because I want to, you know, I kind of hope that it's almost like a, a diary of pictures that you could look back on and, or, you know, 10 years and then kind of see my progression as a, as a, you know, business person. Um, on YouTube, I try to do a lot of videos and it's coming from a position of giving you free information that hopefully, um, you can take as you know to make you a little bit more more knowledgeable on the real estate process or questions you might have. Um, so if you ever have any questions, certainly reach out. Um, I, I like I said, I try to help as many people as I can, and I I, um, I, I like I said, without trying to sound like boastful or co- or boastful or cocky, um, I I'm really confident in my skill level that I've been able to to slowly build. If you would have asked me seven eight years ago, I would not be saying the same thing. But I'm I'm very confident in my abilities now. And I, I, I come, I really think that I can help anybody out there when it comes to things in real estate, um, or even stuff like social media. I really find a passion in that too. Um, so that's where you can find me. Um, 
Also, you'll see me use, and I'm going to kind of plug this in the company, but away from the company too. We use the, um, lot, all my posts, hashtag local matters, which is a big thing that we kind of came up with. Um, and, and I'll do, like I said, actually Aaron Benner was a big part of that too. And local matters, we, we, the reason we talk about local matters, we're a local independent company. Uh, we're not a franchise. We're not, you know, the benefit of, of we don't have any money that leaves out of the area. So if you, you know, if you use us, the money stays locally, meaning it's either going to local agents that work with us, or we're able to reinvest it back into the community and not just necessarily us as a company, but I'm big on trying to support other local people. And I'm very bullish on Plattsburgh. I think we're in a great community. I think we have some phenomenal people in the area. I think that the local matters campaign, I hope takes on more than just our company. I, I would be proud to be the one that started it, but I hope it turns into, you know, kind of a a local revolution of really support your friends and neighbors. Um, try to keep stimulate our economy by, you know, instead of you know, and I know we talked about small business and you know buying local and stuff. That's what it's, that's what it's about. You know, go to the local restaurants, go buy from local mom and pop shops. You know, help help people. You know. Ryan makes the uh, the Rondack chairs like buy something from him versus going to buy some chair at some you know box store or whatever. <laughs> We're like I mean, but like to me, I'd rather have something handcrafted by a buddy of mine that I know is going in his pocket, which is going to help him support himself, or it's going to allow him to go eat at a restaurant, which is going to support that restaurant. And it just comes full circle, and it's basically money exchanging money amongst friends and family and neighbors. Um, and I think the last plug I want to give is that, um, Adirondack young professionals, um, we are both part of that. Uh, Ryan has been the president for a few years on that. Um, I've, you know, I, I'm just a, a, a paying member of, of the, the group, but, um, if you are, and again, they talk about this being young at heart, um, you know, ages is just a number. So if you are young at heart and, you know, are, are, you know, want to get more involved in the community, that group of people is amazing. There are some top-notch people there. Um, and I'm part of me is extremely bullish on the future of Plattsburgh because a lot of those individuals. And I just think, again, well, you're, when you're you, one of them. Yeah. Well, I, I, yes, I would include myself in that. And Ryan, Matt Craig, uh, Meg Whedon, uh, Forrest Edwards. I mean, you take the whole board, you know, Lauren and Brittany and, and, had Becca. I mean, all these people that Nicole that are phenomenal young professionals that are doing some great things in the community and are helping each other. And I think are really living out that local matters, um, you know, lifestyle that I, I hope that people can take on. But if you guys have not been to that meet or not say meetings, if you not, have not been to any of the events, whether it be structured or a pop-up event, stop by, say hi, you know, see what it's about. The, the people there are very welcoming. It's not, trust me, again, like I said, I, I struggle with going to those kind of events and, and I look forward to going to those events now because those people, a lot of them have become very good friends of mine. Um, and it's not, you're not going to hear a sales pitch. You're going to have a beer with a buddy and exactly. talk to them about the golf tournament or about, hey, what did you guys do this weekend? Or, hey, I saw you got a new truck. Um, hey, Matt Craig, give me some eggs. Like you, you see, like you see these people and you talk to them and, and you can relate to them. And it's a place for us to unwind at the end of the day and become friends. And I think 
the benefit of that is just that community support group of getting better, not necessarily like, I mean, Ryan's not buying a house every single day, but Ryan's a great dude. I want to hang out with him. Same thing with Matt and same thing with Meg and all these you know, wonderful people that are, are very close friends to me now. But if you guys can go to Adirondack Young Professional events, they happen every month. I'm sure Ryan can be a little more detailed on that, but uh, go check them out. I think they're doing phenomenal stuff in the area. And also shout out to you know Chamber of Commerce, Economic Development Groups, and Development Corp, and all those companies that are you know moving our area forward. Um, you know I think there's some very bright days ahead for Plattsburgh, and I'm excited that we're going to be along for the ride. So, and I want to thank uh, Ryan and congratulate him on the podcast. I I, uh, <laughs> I think this is phenomenal. You had mentioned doing the podcast, and then. Like I just talked about with my board of directors, if I could get a fourth on there, I'd put Ryan would be my my wow. uh, my fill in in the sense that you talked about doing a podcast and you had it up and running very soon after, and uh, you know you you dove in and probably was a new uncomfortable thing for you to do, but you did it, and now this is great. It was fine. It's, well, yeah, it's not about having a perfect product, but it's about just getting it done and making it better over time. You can't find out what your audience wants until you put something out there for them to give feedback on. But uh, uh, anyhow, I appreciate all the plug to uh, ADKYP. That's an organization that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, grew up here just like you, and I want this place to be successful, successful, and I see the young people and the next generation as uh, our ability to retain those young people uh, as crucial to that effort. So small little piece to the big picture of the pie, but yeah. Certainly uh, glad to have you in, engaged with that group, too. Uh, this conversation, man, has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, check out Galen Trombley and the team at Kavanaugh Realty. C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. That's Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh Realty. You can check them out on social media. But you can also check out Galen Trombley. I will put his spelling right in the title of this podcast galen tromley he's got his own thing going hashtag local matters uh don't forget open gate farmstead i told you there are stones throw away from the mighty osable river and happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product that's for sure and and i've heard this i've said this before and i know it's a big popular item but they are still putting out their offer to gumption listen gumption listeners they're going to take a buck off your first order of eggs if you tell them you heard about them from this podcast. So a buck doesn't seem like much, but when you're getting farm fresh eggs, I'm telling you, it's worth it. Give them a call. Check them out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Open Gate Farmstead. And lastly, coming in last, but certainly not least, Sparkle Clean. Phenomenal people. Zach and Kate Hoyt. Uh, Two more great examples of of people that I have met through Adirondack Young Professionals and some other things. I know Galen has met them as well. They're phenomenal people, and they're busting their butts. I should have them on the podcast. I've told them that. They have gumption. Uh, just a reminder, Sparkle Clean, spelled S-P-A-R-K-I-L-K-L-E-E-N. And I got to make sure I got their social media right, but um, they are on Facebook, on Instagram. Give them a call for a free estimate, 518-578-2931. They're providing professional and economic cleaning solutions to residential and commercial structures. They specialize in window cleaning, floor care, carpet extraction, and auto boat 
detailing. Give them a call, Zach and Kate Hoyt. Great people. Here we are. That's the conclusion of another episode of Stories of Gumption. Galen. Thank you, sir. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. And that's it, folks. See you next time. Peace. Thank you.